listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how you doing, mate? I'm doing well. You? I'm doing great, thanks. I like these I like these episodes when um, we don't have a guest every once in a while. I feel like we don't have to... Um... I don't know, like like uh, it can be more unvarnished or something. I and I don't have to do my hair. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, people in listening don't know this, but we record with video on, but <laughs> uh, we don't record the video and, because uh, because we care about you and we don't want <laughs> you to have to watch us. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, how the sausage is made is not necessarily something you need to see. <laughs> But no, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, these are always fun conversations where we get to kind of dive into stuff that's uh, impacting our world a little bit and kind of uh, has us uh, has us thinking these days. Absolutely. And I mean, a lot of that kind of comes to life around what we're doing with some of our clients and, you know, things we've uh, been learning about and, and all of that. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily negate the fantastic conversations we have with the amazing manufacturing marketing guests on here, but it does allow us to kind of wander a little bit, uh, you know, because we, we do like to certainly promote the folks that we're uh, yeah. chatting with generally and show what they're, what they're interested in. What they're thinking about. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess so. I think I'd like to dig into today and I think that, uh, you know, I, I would say it, it's still the case that account-based marketing is the man. I mean, it's not, it's moved beyond kind of buzzwordy now or the latest, greatest thing, but it certainly hasn't uh, gotten off the tongues of, um, uh, of manufacturing marketers. And I think an awful lot of manufacturing marketers you know, still haven't dipped their toe into an ABM world. And, um, and, and the ones that, that have, um, you know, many of them have, have uh, attempted pilots and failed, uh, or what they thought was failure. Um, and uh, I guess, you know, part of that, I, I think, has uh, boils down to a bit of what they think going in. And, uh, you know, uh, and what they're expecting out of ABM and what they're comparing it against. And I think the biggest problem there is that most marketers, especially when presented with a new advertising technology, one that is as targeted as ABM can be and should be, aren't necessarily separating their expectations from what they expect from demand gen programs or even PPC. And it's not like that. (laughs) <laughs> in manufacturing. I mean, it might be in some B2B SaaS cases, but in manufacturing, it's a different deal. Yeah. And that sales cycle is a different deal. And ABM needs to support it in a way that isn't just about creating leads from a single ad view. Yeah. And look, we like to beat up on the, the whole notion of people viewing the B2B marketing world through a SaaS lens and how it's misguided. And well, and indeed. so you indeed and you noted that you know uh, a part of that is because of the lengthy sales cycle that many manufacturers experience versus uh, maybe a, a shorter uh, path from um, uh, awareness to purchase in a in a SaaS environment. But but even 
I think that's only starting to sell part of the tale because that 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 starts to tell us one of the reasons why it's a problem. Um, but I think it's even harder. It's even worse than that. In that you have these eighteen to twenty-four month sales cycles, and then many manufacturers are operating in incredibly niche categories where the vast majority of the target accounts that they could focus their energy on are not in market right now for what they sell. Mm -hmm. And and just because they find out that there's a great alternative does not put them in the market. Like, uh, they, they, they need to wait for their existing contract to run out or they're just not at the point where they're 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 uh, addressing that that specific challenge. Maybe you're you're a, a contract manufacturer uh, looking to market into uh, product development teams inside of OEMs or what have you. Well, they they it, it, it may not be your fault. They just may not need a, a manufacturing partner right now. Hmm. So. You get a an organization deploying an account-based marketing pilot against that target account list, and they're not going in with the understanding that ninety plus percent of this list is not in market right now. And regardless of how compelling the offer is, they're still not going to buy from me. It doesn't matter. They don't have that understanding, and then they layer on the expectation that it may have the same. A conversion rate and um, an immediate bottom line impact that a great uh, paid search program has, as mm. an example. Yeah, as a, I saw on LinkedIn this morning, an old colleague and friend of ours, uh, Joel Kelly, had uh, posted an article about, you know, that uh, I am not currently part of your buying journey. <laughs> like you can't define me as that i'm not there like i'm not like stop thinking of me as somebody who's on a journey to buy shit from you right like, it's not where i'm going right i might get there but i'm not ready now yeah so i guess i think we've done a good job of shaping up the problem and kind of what is um uh, at, at its core is that niche category relatively small number of people who can buy what you sell and most of them aren't in market to buy it right now. Yet you're looking at uh, the notion of, uh, of of ABM and other campaigns and needing to, in some ways, begin to think about it differently. Yeah. So because you know, as a marketer, that that that, that marketing does indeed work that you you know you just you just as a marketer you're looking for those levers to pull what is it that makes the most sense and what's the blend of short-term and long-term executions that are optimal so i think that's what um uh, something that we've we've worked on a, a fair bit here, here at kula and something i think it would be helpful for us to talk about um is this um notion of the 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 b2b effectiveness ladder when we start thinking about uh, different types of b2b buying content or just content in general uh, not to use your uh, fall into the joel trap that you just mentioned there about buyer journeys um and so so for those who uh, who aren't familiar with this notion of the b2b effectiveness ladder it, it looks at six different types of content and that 
if you will, I'm going to start from the uh, the the least. Uh, uh, not the least, uh, to say the least impact isn't really right. It certainly has the least um, uh, long-term commercial impact and typically addresses the smallest audience size. And then we'll move up the ladder, increasing our commercial impact, but also increasing the audience size that it's intended for. If you think about the very bottom rung of the ladder, that, that's when we're talking about kind of response triggers, right? Um, uh, all, all three of the things at the, bo the, th the bottom three rungs are, are really all about converting I existing demand. So if you think about those response triggers, that's where we're talking about uh, driving campaign response and interaction. So, so much of what I think a lot of B2B marketers think of when they think about content is just that. What are we going to do to get somebody to fill out a form so that we can sell to them, mm. right? And the B2B uh, effectiveness ladder looks at that as just one wrong. But it sounds a lot like you're talking about that thing that we often eschew, you know, um, brand marketing. <laughs> and I mean, we have to be fair, poo-pooed the idea of brand as a concept because the way it's held up by so many, with especially within the agency world, as this panacea. And yet this is kind of driving to a very different way of thinking about it. And I, I kind of want to frame that up before we go too much further into the, into the ladder. Yeah, well, but to be fair, I don't think we've ever poo-pooed brand um, or the importance of brand. Well, not on this show. But, but what I think we've poo-pooed is the notion that um, creativity for creativity's sake, let's try to just simply shock and awe brand advertising, like, hey, wasn't that funny? Um, uh, that type of brand advertising that seems to be trotted out by... Um, uh, art director and copywriter teams awards shows typically in, in their mid 20s typically fresh out of school typically not grounded in any kind of business ra reality whatever i think that's what we poo-pooed for sure and even and even some of that is blind metrics. yeah and even frankly some of that's pretty good <laughs> but but that that's probably what we poo-pooed but nevertheless if we look at that kind of notion of the going up the ladder i think you know, moving beyond the response triggers, then we move into lead generators. Like, what is the what are the pieces of content that help us improve the value of our sales pipeline overall? Okay, not just about a one-time response. And then there's also uh, in the effectiveness ladder, um, they talk about sales closers. So, what are the pieces of content that you can create, um, marketing executions you can imagine? that produce those more short-term short sales gains. So um, so the good news is, I think these first three types of content, this notion of uh, converting existing demand is something that most B2B uh, manufacturing marketers get. For sure. I think where we have a trouble talking to our uh, executive teams selling into the boardrooms, etc., is this notion of how do we create future demand? 
And how do we invest in things today that will not show immediate payoff and won't show immediate payoff, particularly in the context of a 24-month sales cycle layered onto the fact that a huge percentage of our market will not even be in ready to start that 24-month cycle. And, and so moving up the ladder, what I, I guess what I like about the ladder as a concept and as a framework for thinking about B2B marketing effectiveness is it forces you into those top rungs. And it says, you know, you need to fill out those as well. What are you doing from a fame maker content perspective? So what is the content that you are creating that allows you to get customers, prospects, and media talking about you? And then here's the, the, the bad five-letter word. And brand building content, to your earlier point. What are we doing to grow our overall brand equity? And then uh, at the very top rung is that notion of a strategic asset, a strategic creative asset that grows the brand and business long term. And that strategic asset is really providing the guidance. It's the umbrella uh, under which response triggers, lead generators, sales closers, fame makers, and brand, brand builders are built. Mm -hmm. The thing about this entire ladder and the, you know, kind of the, the big long idea that encapsulates the whole thing is that it's a, it's largely about positioning, you know, around the brand and kind of staking out that territory that differentiates and then building upon that. And I mean, that's, that's a difficult thing to do. You know, that this is not, this is not the realm of, uh, of quick wins. Well, I, I, again, I think that you, um, I, I don't think that you need to give up the concept of quick wins. No, no, but this part of it. Yeah. But you need to try, I guess, I think what we're encouraging people to do is to think about execute on the campaigns to deliver those quick wins within an overall uh, creative umbrella or vehicle that is capable of moving up into those more top rungs so that over time you can present an, an overall cohesive creative message to the market. And this kind of notion of long-term creative investment, if there is one thing that runs counter to most manufacturing marketing reality, it's that. Yeah. Like to try to convince uh, a manufacturing organization to buy into a creative direction over the course of five years is, uh, I think that's new territory for an awful lot of manufacturers. Absolutely. So how do you think you know, if you're if you're a manufacturing marketer, you're listening to this, and it's making sense. You know, you've been trying different things, you've been having some success, but you're also not necessarily kind of driving the the results that you're looking for, or not necessarily understanding the 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 scale of investment that's required. How do you how do you have this conversation? How do you um, bring this to the C-suite and, and get them to understand why it's important? Yeah, so I, I, I think the latter is really key to that because it communicates that success in B2B marketing effectiveness uh, comes from 
hitting all rungs of this ladder. I think sometimes this conversation falls down because it, it kind of is often presented as, guys, I think we've been uh, investing too much in short-term things and not enough in long-term stuff, and we should divert our investment, or it's like a pivot in some way. Mm. Whereas I think part of the comfort that the B2B effectiveness ladder delivers to those skeptics is to say, we're not going to stop producing that stuff that creates some short-term benefits. We're not going to stop working on that. In fact, we're going to wrap that in a creative umbrella that helps it be even more effective. And this notion of wrapping the overall B2B effectiveness ladder inside of this notion of a big, long idea. What is that creative platform that can extend across the ladder and, and lift up the effectiveness of each rung? I think that goes a long way to helping... Um, uh, B2B manufacturing executives understand why they need to think beyond the now. Maybe I'm biased. No, I, I don't think so. You know, they are interesting projects to work on, certainly. And, <laughs> and, and, so, so, and the other thing is to, I think if you start discussing the dynamics of a big, long idea and what does it mean, um, I, I think most uh, even somebody outside of the marketing function will get what you're talking about. Because there are really three core dimensions of the big side of a big, long idea and three core dimensions of long. So just to quickly cover it, maybe, as we look at a big, long idea and what makes it a big, long idea a big, long idea, what, what, how do you know uh, that it's capable of uh, fueling content across the B2B effectiveness ladder, fueling marketing programs, campaigns, executions over a multi-year period. On the big side, first things first is it needs to encompass your offering. Like most B2B manufacturers have a fairly complex offering. Um, and bigger ideas can communicate uh, clarity and unity across that offering kind of blends both an emotional and a rational impact. It doesn't force you to kind of imagine, uh, it could be fully emotional and not be rational about a business that you're in, <laughs> if that makes sense. Second big dimension is audience. So it has to cover multiple decision makers and multiple decision breakers across a, a fairly lengthy uh, journey towards becoming a, a prospect or customer. So that notion of it has to be both inclusive and persuasive. And then the the last dimension that, that we typically look at on the on the big side of this is, does it have an element of surprise? Does it kind of help short circuit that, ignore the normal kind of brain wiring that we have? Does it stand out in a sea of sameness, as it were? Mm -hmm. Good news is, for an awful lot of B2B manufacturing categories, doing anything that's creative at all... Um, is an easy way to stand out. ...can have an element of surprise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, it's an easier task than a lot of B2C marketers would face. Oh, I think it's even an easier task than a lot of B2B marketers would face more crowded marketplaces. You know, like there... In a lot of the categories that we certainly deal with, there are you know, not a large number of comparable competitors in any given kind of area. So, you know, there's always something that differentiates. And I, I think though, you know, the manufacturers who are willing to zig a little bit there, 
and provide a viewpoint and some clarity through messaging on that can really stand out um, without sort of the traditional levels of investment required to communicate a brand. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So maybe we should just look at the three long dimensions here briefly. So when we think about the, the big long idea, what do we mean by long? Well, at time, it needs to support, you know, a months or years long buying cycle. It needs to support and be appealing to um, in and out of market buyers. Um, so that requires certainly a level of adaptability and flexibility uh, over, over time that, that you, you need to imagine as you're evaluating an idea. Uh, continuity, it needs to, you know, as you get deeper into the brand story, it needs to always make sense. Um, you know, you can't get to a kink in the garden hose where it no longer makes sense, if you will. Wait a minute, there's a continuity error in here. You had, had a full glass before and now it's empty and now it's full again. <laughs> Um, and then extensibility, can it drive multiple campaigns? Can it support a variety of tactical opportunities? Can it encompass new offerings or new challenges that may emerge? So, um, that's, uh, would maybe be the, I guess that, those would be the, the three long dimensions that I would highlight. So, so three in the big and three in the, in the long to help people imagine what that kind of big long idea is or what, what they kind of might look like. Um, I don't know, Jeff, would it be helpful to maybe think about some of, what, what, what are some examples of this in real life? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I mean, I'm gonna have to put a, a loony in the cookie jar here, but you know, anytime anybody brings up Apple or Google as examples of how things should be done or how things are done well, you know, it, it's almost an unfair advantage, but Apple wasn't always in the place where they could advertise their brand simply with product you know that that really only happened post iMac and before that in the lull between kind of the foundation of Apple and Steve Jobs coming back there was a, a big gap in kind of product and brand understanding and connection the way there is now with the iPhone and all the typical Apple devices we only need to see them just their visual design is part of the brand and it, it holds up yeah but I mean, I think that you could suggest that the, you know, when Jobs came back, the Think Different campaign that profiled, you know, Einstein and, and all of those different people with the Richard Dreyfus narrated ad and, and all of that was just, was really an example of an idea of where Apple was going. It was honestly pointing to today, even continues now. And you... I, I think that was a good idea, a good example of maybe even a big long idea. The notion of think different that that help power product, um, guide product decisions. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Uh, but you're right. I do think Apple's a it, well. It does seem like an unfair one, uh, but it is also can. I I feel as a marketer sometimes it can feel hard to live into. It's like oh, well, I'm, I'm not Apple, so now what? Yeah, uh, but you're not American Express either. But it's interesting to note the American Express campaign, um, uh, where they they really kind of embrace the notion that you can make a big difference by shopping small, by shopping local. So, if you remember, uh, it was back in like 2018, 2019. I don't know. Um, there was a bunch of before the world ended. Yeah, exactly. 
a, a lot of uh, promotion around shopping small. And they even uh, had um, Small Business Saturday. It was a kind of a nationally recognized day in the United States. Um, that was something that they lobbied for as part of this big, long idea, this notion that we can make a big difference in our economy by uh, supporting small. And, and of course, it helps align them to small business operators as a, as a credit provider. But I think it's a pretty good example of of a big, long idea in action. Um, maybe a more like kind of manufacturing, maybe it's more supply chain. Um, is the the Maersk um, the shipping line? Mm-hmm. The they have a a, a fairly um, densible creative platform that they've built that has come to life across everything from trade publications to a uh, big kind of uh, mural type of installations, et cetera, around this notion of together all the way. Um, and it's been a big, long idea for Maersk that has, has, has uh, borne a lot of fruit. And I think if you did any mm. kind of Google research, you'd be able to find out uh, multiple executions on this uh, on this over time. Maybe the last one I would mention is um, we probably have uh, the kind of the IBM kind of Smarter Planet campaign be hard to have not seen that. There'd be maybe three that I would point to that would help um, put some meat on the bone and help people imagine what these big long ideas look like in real life. For sure, yeah. Here in Canada, we have one bank that's done a pretty good job of a big long idea. I think, yeah, uh, Scotia Bank. Um, you know, this note that the, the, the idea is is that you have more uh, most most people have more wealth than they think. Mm-hmm. Um, which they brought to life in a tagline, uh, you're richer than you think. So this notion of you can do more with your money than you may be uh, feeling. Um, uh, and that, man, they've extended that richer than you think in so many different ways. Yeah, they really have. I think that's one of the components that makes a big, long idea work is when it has the potential to power a number of really unique executions over a long period of time just as you said you know that that long component but like man if if you can still be excited about deploying a campaign that's based in the same ideas five years down the road that's how you know you've you've uh, struck upon an idea that can that can hunt yeah and, and that balance of short-term activation can it do stuff to help fill up our pipe, you know, or, or to at least accelerate pipeline in the next while. Can we imagine campaign executions where there's some short-term activation opportunities, but also balancing that with long-term brand building? Um, and, and, I, and I find in, in so many manufacturers, um, if they do have a focus on the brand build side, it will be divorced from the short-term activation. Sometimes very different initiatives or different projects, different people being responsible for them. So it kind of runs quite counter to what we know to work better, right? Yeah. You had asked before about selling this to people who are, you know, maybe a bit skeptical and um, need to be convinced to spend more money and to commit to a longer time in market. I do think that notion of talking through the fact of here's our audience today and how many of them are truly in market today. I, I still think that's incredibly powerful. And it's such a difference from uh, the SaaS world. In much of the SaaS uh, marketing, you're um, 
you're, you're, you're bringing a solution to market that maybe attacks a, a current problem, but does so in a, in a more unique and digital way. And so there's some part, part of your challenge is really just explaining to people that this exists and that it's possible and that the price is worth it. Right. So you can get them. They may not be in market right now, but you can get them into market pretty quickly. That's a lot different than having a five year contractual obligation. That means <laughs> that I'm not in market for another three years. And then I have a two year cycle to select my next provider. That, that's a different world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That realization, though, that not everyone is a prospect right now, that's a powerful one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, I, I, I've said this before, uh, BANT is BS. Um, <laughs> uh, if you work in a niche uh, environment and you're going to decide to ignore a lead, uh, ignore a contact, ignore a target account simply because they don't have budget authority, need, and timeline right now, they, you've just proved that you don't understand the world that you're in. You know, you just proved that you you, you probably shouldn't be market, uh, selling in, in that environment um, because, uh, yeah, they don't have budget, authority, need, and timeline now, uh, but they're going to have it three years from now. And you better find a way to demonstrate your value to them between uh, now and then. Well, and I think you, you said that within the context of elite. Let's think about it with all the people who don't convert, but are just influenced by the messaging that your big long idea is getting out there and washing over them over the course of those three years and the differentiation it puts in their minds of your offering versus your competitors, that when they are interested, even at that point, they're not band qualified, yeah. but they've been hearing this messaging for so long. It's incredibly powerful. Yeah, yeah. And how, so how much is that worth? How much does that increase your propensity to actually get that eventual deal in the closed one? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the, the good news is there's all kinds of research to show that this is a much smarter approach. The bad news is it is a still a bit like religion, like you got to kind of just believe in it because it's it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> come true in, in, in 90 days. So Maybe maybe instead of religion, we can call it a 401k or an RRSP, depending on which side of the uh, Mason or uh, Canadian border you're on. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're making a great point because that's such a um, common uh, comment in content marketing these days. People encouraging you to think about content marketing like an investment strategy. I've, I've seen a lot of that commentary. Um, and that's true. But it's that exact same narrative that will get you in trouble if you don't balance it with the short-term activation and understand that as well. Right. So, um, uh, that, uh, so uh, yeah, I, I do like that notion of um, it is like an investment. Uh, you, and it, had, it takes a little while for, uh, for you to compound your earnings. Um, but uh, at the same time, I think you, uh, marketers will do well to balance that as they sell it up the, up the chain. Yeah. Don't ignore the money market funds, folks. <laughs> All right. Well, look, this has been fun. Yeah. No, I've enjoyed this. Thanks a lot, mate. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.